Voice of Hope is a podcast of New Hope Presbyterian Church of Castle Rock, Colorado. New Hope is a church that puts people first. You can listen to our sermons and podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and any other popular podcast platforms. This week we look at how questions aren't a sign of doubt. Instead, questions help us build a stronger foundation of faith. In this unique question and answer sermon, we explore the importance of questions. It comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. All right, so this is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a little more relaxed, going to be a little more improvised uh, than a traditional sermon. Uh, questions, if you do have some, thank you, Julie. You can bring them up to the basket. Uh, if we're online, you can put them in the chat box. But I kind of want to get us started by talking about it a little bit. Uh, we're going through a series called Under Construction. So it's the life of the church is still the work in progress and how God is still working through us, helping us build. Sometimes we want to get, um, we kind of want to puff our chest and be like, we have it figured out. We know exactly what God wants of us. God told us through Jesus, we're good. We know exactly how to live and we have to live that way. But I don't think that's always the case. I think life is messy. I think life has a lot of gray areas that you're like, how does my faith impact any of this? And so that's part of the work of progress in the life of the church. And so questions are important. It helps us uh, figure out what we're going to do next. It helps us grow. If you're on a construction site, of course you're asking questions, right? You can't just assume things that this is going to get done or that's going to get done. You're going to say, well, is the electrician doing this? Is the plumber making sure that's getting done? So you're all working together. And then it's also, it all has to start with a question. What do we want to build? What do we want it to look like? So questions are kind of a foundation of building things. Uh, Dan, can you go to the next slide? I forgot my clicker. This week, the James Webb Telescope released pictures of our universe, and that wouldn't be possible if somebody didn't ask the question first of what's out there and how far can we see? How can we push our technology to see further into the universe? And then once you see all the things, it's like, what is that? I look at that and I'm like, "Uh, I don't know what any of that is, but it looks nice, right? Uh, so then questions lead you to discover new things. Uh, next slide. Uh, we wouldn't have had maybe the rest of America discovered if Lewis and Clark didn't ask the question, how far does this land go? And what are the different parts of it? And so they set out on a journey not knowing anything, but just having the questions. Next one. And this next one's interesting because sometimes we ask a question and we don't get the answer we're actually looking for. Uh, In 1938, Roy Plunkett, a scientist with DuPont, was working on ways to make refrigerators more home-friendly, searching ways to replace the current refrigerant, which was primarily ammonia, sulfur dioxide, and propane. After opening the container on one particular sample he had been developing, Plunkett found his experimental gas was gone. All that was left was a strange slippery resin that was resistant to extreme heat and chemicals. In the 1940s, the material was used by a Manhattan project. A decade later, it, was fa- it found its way into the automotive industry, and it wasn't until the 60s that Teflon would be used for most, uh, its most application used non-stick cookware. All right, so he was looking for a way to make refrigerators more friendly, but ended up discovering something else entirely. We may not get the, the answer to the question uh, that we ask, but the question may lead us to an answer 
to a new discovery. So questions are important. I want to use a scripture to kind of get us started today uh, to talk about questions. It's from Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came to the area of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the human one is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said, and what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus replied, happy are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because no human has shown this to you. Rather, my Father who is in heaven has shown you. I tell you that you are Peter, and I'll build my church on this rock. The gates in the underworld won't be able to stand against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Anything you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven. Anything you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Then he ordered the disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Christ. And so Jesus is asking questions. The disciples asked Jesus all kinds of questions throughout his ministry, and they were learning along uh, with him as he continued his ministry. And Jesus is even asking the questions, which I think is encouraging, because if we don't think questions are important, then why is God asking the questions of us? And so they're discovering who Jesus was with questions. And so in our own lives, we want to be able to discover more about our faith, how it works in the world, through questions. And so now we have your questions. We have some in this basket here. And then we may open it up to the floor also if people are brave enough to ask questions. So we'll just get comfortable together today. Um, let's see. All right, see if there's any online, just kind of look in quick. All right, so one of these questions says, how can God forgive us if we can't find a way to forgive ourselves? Well, you know, an easy Sunday school answer to that question would be because he's God, right? Uh, but I think more complex is sometimes we're the hardest on ourselves. Uh, God is constantly showing us grace in different ways that we may not even recognize. But that's the whole gig for God, right? Forgiveness. That's why Jesus came. Jesus showed all about forgiveness. Jesus showed in different ways. The, one of the stories I love from the Gospels is uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. Because she was caught, and according to the law at the time, she deserved death. You know, death by stoning. But Jesus interfered and said, those of you without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus challenged people. And Jesus was in a spot where he was kind of in a no-win situation, right? Where he was defending this woman. So the Jewish uh, lawmakers and, and religious leaders uh, saw him as breaking law. Uh, and then, uh, then it was kind of this question from other people of like, why are you defending someone who is morally not uh, ethical or right? But Jesus was showing that grace and forgiveness. Even if you don't forgive yourself, God's still forgiving you. A lot of Reformed theology uh, sits on the fact that sometimes it has nothing to do with us, but God is still working through us, even if we, we aren't answering the call. That God still extends grace, even if we don't ask for it. And so God... It's the character of God to forgive. It's shown throughout the stories of the Bible. 
Hopefully that helps a little bit with whoever asked the question that, you know, it's not, to forgive ourselves isn't going to mean that if we don't forgive ourselves that we're not forgiven. But if we do forgive ourselves, that helps us live into a more full life in different ways because we don't have uh, some of that baggage that comes with it. I like this one. When people say, give it to God and let it go, how do you do that? Hard not to continue to worry. Any advice? Yes, the give it to God is... <laughs> uh, I'll tend to roll my eyes if I hear that sometimes, just in all honesty. Um, people say, give it to God, because it's an easy answer to something that is bothering somebody. If somebody's anxious about something, somebody is wondering about something, and the person they're talking to doesn't really know how to answer or how to give counsel, then sometimes it's the easy way out, right? It's like, well, just give it to God, which is fine. Giving it to God is fine, and God can handle it. But giving it to God doesn't help that person in that moment to wrestle with the things they're wrestling with. I think more appropriate in those instances, instead of saying giving it to God, is asking more questions of that person. Asking them, why do you feel this way? Why, you know, what led to it? What's really the worry that you have? And that can help you get to a deeper place and a deeper understanding uh, with each other. Uh, but give it to God sometimes we like to use just because we don't know how to handle it. And sometimes that's okay too, because sometimes we don't know how to handle certain situations. Um, but I've heard that one a lot. There's a lot of Christianisms that go around, right, that, uh, that sometimes are kind of an easy way out. All right. So we've talked about give it to God, how to forgive, does God forgive us if we can't forgive ourselves? Let's see, justice is a significant theme of Scripture. How do we live that out in our lives here and in the world? What does do justice mean to us? Hmm. Justice probably means different things to different people, different cultures, um, ideologies. Maybe justice here means something different than justice in the middle of Kansas. It's definitely different than maybe uh, in a different country. Uh, but with scripture, if we think about the ways in which God uh, works towards justice, that's a constant work towards justice. So you think about the Israelites, the, the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament. Sometimes we like to push the Old Testament aside because we're like, it's, it doesn't matter anymore, Jesus came. So Old Testament, whatever. But the narrative and the story of it is very important to understanding Jesus and the message of the gospel. Because the Israelites were people that were oppressed, that needed justice brought for them to be freed from oppression and slavery. And then as the story goes, slowly Israel, the Israelites become the oppressors at some point as well. And then God kind of puts them into exile once again and it starts all over. And then Jesus came to say, all right, they're not getting it. This is how you're supposed to live. And so justice is a theme that is all throughout the Bible. 
And nowadays, justice can be a hot topic. People, you know, the term social justice, people, it depends who you're talking to, how they receive that and what they think it means. Uh, but justice for God, I think, is seeing the image of God in each and every human and treating them appropriately. Because without that, we can dehumanize people. We can make them less than human, so it's easier to hurt, oppress, um, be angry towards them, blame them for problems. Uh, but justice is a way of bringing the kingdom of God to earth now. That whenever we bring about justice that is right, that that's a little more glimpse of how the world actually works, of the reality of God and how that actually works in our world. I could talk about that for a long time and all the different ways in which we kind of construe it in our culture, in our politics, in our, in our world. Uh, but I think that's kind of the heart of God, that we see the image of God in each person and that we are to love neighbor as ourselves. That's true justice, is to love our neighbors as ourselves. If we think about all the ways in which there's injustice, it's we're not treating people right. We're not treating people fairly. And justice is more than just revenge. Sometimes we think of revenge when it comes to justice, right? That, that somebody needs to get what they did. And we think of the Old Testament when it says an eye for an eye. And, but Jesus came back with that too and he said, you have heard it this way, an eye for an eye, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. And so Jesus is saying, this is what you've heard. This is how the message of God has been kind of manipulated, but this is actually how it is. So true justice is actually transforming hearts and transforming people. If we think about our justice system in prison and ways to, uh, we, we say rehabilitate, but we don't really rehabilitate or transform people. All we do, it's, it's punishment and that's it. You've served your time, but people aren't changed. True justice helps people change. And I think that's, that's what God is getting at with justice, is that it's something has been done wrong and to make it right is to help transform either this one party or both parties involved. And that's when true justice happens. I would invite you also to, um, if you have questions or follow-up questions to these, you can just raise your hand and you can shout it out. I'll repeat it for people. And then we can keep going with that. If not, I have some other things I can talk about. But I want to hear from all of you. Surely we have questions. The last couple of years have been kind of crazy, so that's a good question. <laughs> uh, the question was that, you know, I've been here for a while. I've been in, uh, I, I started in, at New Hope in 2015 in the children and family ministry role. And then uh, when Eric, our associate pastor, took a call, uh, I applied for the associate pastor position because I was ordained in the Reformed Church of America, which is, uh, has a formula of agreement with the PCUSA that they accept each other's pastors and ordinations. So I applied for that, and of course I'm here, and I've been in that role since late 2017. Um, how has my ministry changed? How has God surprised me in ways with my ministry? Uh, that was kind of the question. That's a good question. I, I don't think I've pondered on that too much until now. 
No, it's okay. It's, it's a good question. It helps. Um, uh, but, you know, lately with, with the transition and all the things, there, there isn't much time for reflection. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in the coming weeks there will be as we reflect on Russ's time here too. Um, you know, I think one of the, th- a quick one off the top of my head is uh, when I got into ministry, I really love children and youth ministry. And I thought, you know, I don't like preaching all that much. I don't really want to do that every week. Uh, <laughs> but when Russ went on sabbatical, uh, I think it was 2018, uh, I, I discovered the joy in preaching, that when you preach every week, it becomes a rhythm. You start to uh, know what to say a little bit quicker, whereas in the associate role, when you're preaching once a month, it's like, oh, you got to start all over and get the engine running again. Uh, so that's one thing that I've discovered real joy in, is to see what God is trying to speak to me, and something that feels like this speaks to all of us. There's times where I hate it because it's like, I don't really want to say that. I don't want to give that message. Because it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. It's like, you know, how are people going to receive it? Uh, how do you talk about it properly? How do you walk the line so it doesn't feel um, that you're accusatory or guilt-tripping in any way? But it's, it's a fun thing. And I think sermon, the art of the sermon is also going to change a little bit as we have seen over the last couple of years with technology, with online uh, church and things like that, that the form of the sermon is just like this, you know, 20, 25-minute piece in the middle of the service that everything else is kind of centered around. But I think more and more people in church are less less interested in what the pastor has to say every week and more interested in what can I do for my community? How can I be the hands and feet of Jesus here and now? So I think it'll, it'll change a little bit. I don't know what it'll look like, if it's shorter, if it's uh, little things throughout the week, but um, that's been a thing that's interests me. Um, you know, another, another piece I think for me is one surprising thing that came up a couple of years ago was uh, I was kind of started to work with some other churches in Castle Rock, uh, the Christ Episcopal Church, the ELCA Church, Well of Hope. Um, I think it's Good Shepherd in the, uh, out in Sedalia. And then there's another one that's out in Elizabeth that's both a, a Lutheran and Episcopal, I, I believe. And we were working together because we knew we were churches that were open and inclusive in the Castle Rock area um, to uh, people of the LGBTQ community. And for my whole life, even up until after seminary, I thought I was clever in seminary because this topic came up all the time as it does for a lot of churches. And in seminary, I was like, you know what? If anybody asks me a question about that, I'm just gonna say, no comment. I don't have an answer for that if, you know, the question on gay marriage and and things like that. And, uh, you know, quickly I found out that wasn't adequate, right? Uh, I just didn't want to engage with the conflict nature of it. Uh, But when I moved to Colorado, I I took a job as a youth and children uh, director at a Methodist church up in Evergreen. And I knew before going there that there was two students in the youth group who uh, were gay and lesbian. And so then I was like, well, now I have to kind of figure out 
some kind of understanding for myself of how I'm going to, because I need to be their advocate. I need to be the advocate for the youth. That's my job as their, their pastor. And so I remember that summer doing a lot of reading, and we have read and talked about it in seminary too, um, but of course I was avoidant of all of it. Uh, and then I, I came to a place where it kind of changed for me. And, and so then over the past couple of years, and then coming to New Hope, in 2015, that's when the um, marriage decision was made. And so I jumped in right in the middle of all that and seeing kind of how a church was able to uh, talk with one another, have discussions and, and uh, ask questions about it. It was really in, intriguing to me. It was refreshing for me because it was one of those things, I think primarily where I came from or cultures that I, I lived in. It was like, you just don't, just don't talk about it. Don't ask the questions. We don't, you know, obviously it's wrong and that was the majority opinion and so you don't don't talk about it but here it was you know some there were people that thought it was wrong people thought it was right this is where god's leading us and we're working together towards it now of course i know there's a lot of pain and and um grief that came with that decision and and some people leaving Uh, but then later on working with these churches to how can we make it known to people that this is a place for them that there's lots of churches that it it won't be a place for them. And so how do we tell them that? And so through that journey and that year, uh, it eventually led to a point where a family member very close to me came out to me and I could see the kind of the fingerprints of God along the way, that God was preparing me for that moment. Because if I didn't have all those things that led to that moment, I wouldn't have been able to respond in the best way. And so that was one of the moments that surprised me. It was like, oh, so this, this was for something um, that made a difference in somebody's life. So that was, that's one thing that kind of surprised me. Thanks, Nate. Yeah, so the question is, how can you love your neighbor if... How can you love your neighbor as yourself if your neighbor does not value you in any way? That's a good question. I think I deal with this all the time as a pastor. Um, I I think, in all honesty, pastors are human. (laughs) Um, And there's people in our world, in our communities, that often feels like, man, it just feels unlovable. It feels like you can't love them or you can't, you want to avoid them, right? But I think for me, what I go back to that, where it's how, how can I love a neighbor who doesn't value me at all? I think about God's grace and God's love and how sometimes we miss the mark in not loving God in any way, that we don't value God in some ways. But God still continues to love us. God continues to pursue us in, uh, despite that. And so if we're called to try and love like God did, like Christ did, and how uh, Christ showed us how he always went to the people on the margins that other people said other people didn't value, that God is pursuing us even if we don't love God. So that's the challenge to us that I would say. It's if God's doing it and that's the call of God, then we should try our best. Sometimes we won't do our best. Sometimes we have to walk away. Sometimes we have to say, I just can't do it. And there's grace in that as well. Uh, but that's a hard one. And it's hard to love people that 
who are 100% against you, right? Uh, and I think we live in a world where that becomes more and more the trend, right? Unless you're 100% with me, you're my enemy. And that, we're finding out that doesn't work so well. And so how can we continue to be the people of God, to show the love of God to people even when they don't value us, I think is a very important discipleship question in the church world. Yeah. One of the things we don't understand clearly because we don't understand the invisible. We always, we always want to understand things if we see them. And uh, Brandon added a lot of science to it, and I'd have to go back to a science class to kind of <laughs> unpack that. There's a lot of words I didn't understand. So I know Einstein. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that the Christian church is not understanding because it's invisible? I think the Christian church, time and time again, uh, trips over this idea of the kingdom of God. Um, that, it's, that it's near, that it's already but not yet. It's this weird thing of like, well, we can't really see it. Sometimes we get glimpses of it in the work of the church, but yet we can't see it in everyday life. So does it exist? Does it matter? And so then the Christian church has often created this escapism type of theology that, well, this is all going to burn anyway. We're just all going to go to heaven. That's the true home. But that's not what scripture really teaches. I mean, people pull that out of certain places in, in Revelation and uh, but that's just a horrible misreading of Revelation. But it's, it's this idea that we are the people of God to bring the reality of God to the present so people see that this is how the world should work. And I think that's one of the things that the Christian church often trips over time and time again because we can't always see it. And so then if we don't always see it, then we're like, well, is it really real? And so then we try and do our own thing to try and make something real or something to hang on to. Um, and I think just faith in general. Faith is all about believing something that you can't see, something that you can't physically quantify. Uh, and that's kind of the point, is to have faith. That even, you know deep inside you that there, there is something real about God and Jesus and this whole story, uh, but yet there doesn't seem to be any way to prove it. I always get very suspicious of people that try to prove things. Um, and there's lots of things out there. Um, and it's all in good intention. In good intention. Uh, but when you go out to try and prove God, try to prove Jesus, try to prove Christianity is real, then I think you end up missing the point. And then it just becomes a game you're trying to win. And that's not the point at all. So it's, the unseen is, is tough. And there'll be new things that are revealed to us, whether it's through science, uh, the universe, things like that, that will challenge us and be like, well, how, does this, how is this revealing to us God's great and wonderful creation that God made? It's just us learning more and more about it rather than it disproving other things to us. So, I hope this has been nice and helpful 
I like doing this. I like doing some kind of improv and getting to know your questions, uh, talking with you like this a little bit more than, than maybe just talking at you. Um, I don't think there's any questions online. So I'll kind of wrap it up. But questions are the foundation to grow anything, to grow your faith, to grow your knowledge. Just asking the questions helps set you on a journey to learn more about God and about faith and about yourself. Um, Sometimes we're the biggest obstacle to ourselves in learning more about God. And so as we are a church under construction, a, a work in progress, questions are more and more important. And I think even today in our world, as we're more polarized and we are more certain of our views and positions on things, I think questions are gonna be very important. And not questions just to try and trip up the other side or your enemy or anything like that, but genuine questions of how do we live together and what does this all mean and how is God in the middle of all of it? Would you pray with me? God, may you continue to inspire us, to give us questions that we may, to, may learn more about you, more about your world, more about ways in which we can try and be more like Jesus, even when it feels hard, even when it feels like it's not working, when people are against us, teach us how to love because you have loved us first. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Voices of Hope. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. Go in peace and have a wonderful week.